When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar, Will Raggett's here for our weekly get-together. And uh, Will, I think we should start right off, not with a game, not with the jokes, not with any small talk about the weather, but with injury report stuff. Because actually, we got we just got some updates that are very interesting to Sunday's game. Ezekiel Elliott, it appears, is going to play against the Vikings. Christian Derisaw was kind of at practice, but in a non-contact jersey. Noah Caleb Evans, I don't really know what to make of the non-contact jersey, but that would seem like it's a good sign for the potential for Christian Derisaw. And also the Vikings will face Dallas at mostly full strength with their running game, which could be a pretty good battle with the Vikings defensive line because Delvin Tomlinson still not practicing. He's going to be out, but they've gotten a lot recently out of Tonga and out of uh, Bullard, like these guys that you never would have expected playing key snaps. So uh, what do you make of all that, Will? Well, it was concerning, right, on on Wednesday when you see the injury report and you got the three, the Vikings' three best players are on it. Justin Jefferson had a little toe injury, which he said today that he's fine. He's That's not a concern. Zadarius Smith was on it the NFL leader in pressures with a knee injury. It seems like he's going to be fine. I think that's just kind of something you deal with when you're Zadarius Smith and you're 30 years old and you play a ton of snaps and you've had some injuries in the past. And then uh, Christian Derisai is, is the most concerning one, I would say, because he didn't practice. He's in the concussion protocol, left the game against the Bills, and you're going up against a Dallas team that has Micah Parsons, who is a defensive player of the year candidate, and just a team in general. They lead the NFL in sacks. They lead the NFL in pressure rate. Like the Vikings really, really need Christian Derrissaw for this game. So definitely, I think, a good sign to have him out there in some capacity, even with a non-contact jersey on. That's better than, say, a Caleb Evans not being at practice at all for the second straight day uh, with a concussion. And then on the Cowboys front, I don't even know if it's necessarily a bad thing for Ezekiel Elliott to be back because Tony Pollard seems to be just a lot better. So to the extent that Elliott's presence takes away from Tony Pollard touches, maybe not the worst thing. But to be fair, I think the combination uh, of Elliott's kind of power and Pollard's speed can be dangerous. So, yeah, the running games on both sides going to be huge to watch. I think the last couple of times we've seen Ezekiel Elliott against the Vikings, I'm not going to underrate him just yet. Uh, he made a key catch last year toward the goal line, plowed through a couple of guys. Like you said, he's still got a lot of power. And I also think that there is a tendency to fall in love with RB2 a lot of times. Like a lot of, and this is not always, I mean, Pollard is a really special player with his burst, but um, you know, keeping both of those guys fresh is good. And sometimes, 
sometimes the RB2 gets a little more favorable situations or comes in a game completely fresh as opposed to the starter who's been worn down. And honestly, like hint, hint, nudge, nudge, keep using Alexander Madison from time to time to make sure that uh, Delvin Cook is at 100% late in games if you need him. If you ever do have a lead in the fourth quarter and you need to run the clock out, uh, that will possibly benefit. But um, yeah, I mean, this is uh, the Christian Derrissaw thing is really, really vital uh, to them winning this game. But you also do not want to push Christian Derrissaw back. And in our experience, well, I think you'd say the same thing that with concussions, concussion protocol, you just have really no idea when a guy is going to return. You can't really from the outside take a guess. It's not like, oh, his ankle, he's limited in practice or it didn't look that bad or he was still moving this way or that way. And that's why the NFL even tells these teams, like, don't mess around with that. Don't give potential timelines and so forth. It could be that it ends up being like Harrison Smith, where Christian Derrissaw has to miss just this one game. But they also have two games in five days after this one against the Dallas Cowboys. So even though you'd love to have him against the Cowboys and Micah Parsons and one of the best defensive lines in the NFL, if not number one, you also have to take the long-term consideration because if somebody is coming off of a serious injury like that and they play too soon, we saw what happened with Tua where it set him back quite a ways uh, because the Miami Dolphins put him in too soon after a concussion. So the Vikings have to be very, very careful here. And I wouldn't be totally shocked if he didn't play, uh, but that is a massive loss. I know Blake Brendel did a terrific job, but they also gave a lot of help to him. And I don't think you want to have to do that where you're chipping and you're putting Delvin Cook over there. You're putting KJ Osborne, I noticed, was taking shots at Vaughn Miller when he was over there. I don't know that you want to do that when you're going up against a tremendous Dallas defense. Yeah, no, it's not a situation where like it's some – upper body or lower body kind of minor injury and like the situation and the game matters like oh Derisaw is going to play through this and he really wants to play and he's going to tough it out because it's an important game for NFC seating purposes like that's just not how it works it's not how it should work with concussions and I think the Vikings uh, have been and will be good about that Kevin O'Connell has said that they're going to trust the medical staff they're going to let the process play out see where Derisaw is at see where Evans is at and, and it's a good point that yeah, you'd like to have him against the Cowboys. You'd also like to have him against the Patriots defense, who you see four days later. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me either if he didn't play it. Also, we don't know. I mean, it's just going to depend on the testing that they do, uh, how he looks today, tomorrow, into the weekend, all those kind of things. I don't. I, I, I imagine he might be at least real doubtful or maybe questionable uh, in the final injury report on Friday. But we'll see. It's kind of the same thing with Dalvin Tomlinson, too. Like, these games are important right now. The Vikings are pursuing the one seed, and that really matters when it comes to uh, having the home field advantage throughout the postseason, having the first round bye potentially. But they also are taking a long-term view because they're in position where unless things really, really fall apart, they're going to be the, at least the number two seed in the NFC. Like if they go four and four the rest of the way and finish 12 and five, the Seahawks would need to go six and one, I think it is, to to match that and potentially have a tiebreaker on conference record or something like that, which seems kind of unlikely for the Seahawks to do. And the Vikings still have games against the Colts and the Lions and the Bears and things like that. So they're in a position that where they're set up to, even if they're not the number one seed, be in a good spot when the playoffs start. And you want to have Dalvin Tomlinson at full strength, at full health as part of that, which is why I think they're taking kind of a 
long game, slow approach with Tomlinson and not trying to rush him back by any means because he is really important. You want him to be good to go when he's back. And like you said, shout out to uh, Kyrus Tonga and James Lynch and Jonathan Bullard and Ross Blacklock. And the, the Vikings haven't like Tomlinson's a great player, but you haven't, you don't watch these games and say, Oh, they're getting killed in on the interior because they don't have them. So that's kind of a, a testament to their depth. It's actually been remarkable to see some of their depth emerge that we didn't expect. Even a Caleb Evans, the way that he played against Washington, it was a key performance. And I'm not going to call Duke Shelley great depth just yet, but he certainly made a play. I mean, they have all year when someone goes out and it hasn't happened that often, but when someone goes out, there usually has been another player to step in and, and take that guy's job and, and do a, do well. And, and, you know, Blake Brandle was probably the best example of that. Just like, uh, who is in right now? Like, I, I wasn't even sure who the next man up was going to be. I know that they had been high on Blake Brendel uh, as a development prospect. We've seen him play a lot of second team during training camp, and it felt like uh, they liked where he was going, his trajectory. But this is a guy who didn't even make the team out of camp the last two years. And then it's, okay, the biggest moments here, you have to go in and play against a very, very good uh, defensive line. So they've gotten a lot of those key performances. Josh Metellus stepping in for Harrison Smith was another big example example of that where he played extremely well and that was always our question going into the season because a lot of these guys you just didn't really know like is there anybody behind the corners and a Caleb Evans seems to be that in a very small sample size but him not playing Andrew Booth Jr. Duke Shelley I'm a little less confident in that and I have to imagine that Dallas is right now looking at every way to get C.D. Lamb away from Patrick Peterson as much as possible to take advantage of those potential matchups, which is kind of how I wanted to structure the show, Will. I mean, one of the best parts about this season when you're 8-1 and one, from our perspective is every game is just like a playoff game. Every game is big. Every game matters from a matchup perspective. So I wanted to talk about some of the best and most interesting matchups of Vikings-Cowboys. So why don't we kind of begin there? C.D. Lamb and whomst else I don't know that plays as wide receivers. I do know, but the, the their group of receivers beyond CD lamb is just very unimpressive, but CD lamb is enough to take over a football game. If the Vikings aren't able to contain him. Yeah. There's no more Amari Cooper. They do have Michael Gallup who was coming back from injury and hasn't really done a ton this year. Noah Brown is just kind of a guy, but yeah, Patrick Peterson doesn't follow receivers. We've talked about this. He's going to be on one side of the field for the most part, and he's going to see a lot of C.D. Lamb undoubtedly with the way things work out, and that'll be a fun matchup. But C.D. Lamb's also going to get a lot of reps on that other side against whoever it is. And to me, it sounds like or it seems like it'll probably be Andrew Booth Jr. making his first career start. Caleb Evans kind of seems unlikely to play, having not practiced yet this week. Uh, I can't imagine, even though Duke Shelley made a great play in his three in his three defensive snaps in Buffalo, um, he's like five nine. He's not really a true outside corner. He was on the practice squad all year. The Bears cut him. Like I don't think you're starting him against the Dallas Cowboys, and then you don't really have any other options because Chris Boyd is a great special teams player, but just when he's been out there at corner over the past few years, we've seen it not go particularly well, and then. Other than that, you're talking about like they just re-signed Perry Nickerson to the practice squad. Like it's it's probably going to be Andrew Booth Jr. if a Caleb Evans can't play. You drafted him in the second round, traded up for him for a reason. And he's going to be kind of thrust into a really difficult matchup. And 
we'll see what he can do. He, he struggled a bit when he came into the, that game against the Bills. And, and to be fair, he saw a lot of Stephon Diggs, which is about as tough as of an assignment as you could possibly have with the way that Diggs kind of attacks leverage and um, like just changes directions and is such a tactically gifted route runner and such a smart player as well. And CD Lamb is is really good too. But hey, I mean, it's it's gotten lost over the past few months. But Andrew Booth Jr. was really really impressive in training camp. I thought there were times early on where he was too grabby and he you, you could kind of tell he didn't really know what he was doing. But over the course of camp. It progressed to the point where his confidence and his the swagger and the physical tools were showing up. So I'm excited to see if it does end up being Booth, uh, what he can bring to the table after watching him in camp. Yeah, and last week, like you said, I don't think that we can totally judge his performance based on that when you are going up against – it's not just one of the better receivers. It's like a top three or four wide receiver in the entire NFL quite a bit. Still, though, his experience for this year, he really just hasn't been on the field very much at all. Not even like with a Caleb Evans, and I do think there's something to this, playing a lot of special teams, being in plays, seeing the speed of the game, making plays out there – being in practice every day because you're healthy. Andrew Booth Jr. missed a lot of time between training camp and then early in the season with those injuries and how far it set him back, I don't know. And I wonder if there's like a short leash there, if they were to start Andrew Booth Jr. and then say, look, Duke Shelley, be ready. Because we never found out, and I don't even know if it was asked because there was so much madness from that game, if Booth got banged up a little bit, or if they just said like, no, we need somebody with you know more experience to throw out there at the end of the game in Duke Shelley. And I, that's that to me is one of those could be a defining type of matchup. You remember a couple of years ago where uh, Dak Prescott just kept attacking Mike Hughes and Mike Hughes gave up something like 13 receptions in one night, which was absurd, but they just kept attacking that matchup over and over and over again, which they very well could do with CD lamb. It is super underwhelming though, with Michael Gallup, Noah Brown, and then tight ends after that Dalton Schultz does not scare you at all. And this is kind of the next matchup that I'm thinking about quite a bit is we alluded to Delvin Tomlinson being out the running game of the Dallas Cowboys. I think that for both teams, the running game is just massive. I mean, who can establish the run? Not only just that, but also like who can really hold on to the football because both of these teams have explosive wide receivers who can make plays. But if you can command the game on the ground. I mean, this is really like green Bay. They got behind a little bit in that game, but they were still able to run at any time they wanted to against the Dallas front. So it's kind of a running game V running game, two expensive running backs, two offensive lines that are built to run block and two teams that if they start allowing the opponent to run are really in a lot of trouble because I think that the, one of the reasons aside from turnovers that the Vikings defense has survived in recent weeks is the fact that other teams just couldn't close them out by running the ball. If Washington was succeeding running the ball, they don't have Taylor Heineke throw it 20 feet above somebody. And the same thing with Josh Allen. It doesn't end up on third and 15 trying to fire it into a tight window in the back of the end zone. They're probably just handing off to Devin Singletary. So the Vikings have made teams become one-dimensional in recent weeks. But we know Dallas. like They're going to stick with it. They're not going to completely give up on it. So how they... Both teams battle against it, maybe a defining factor in this game. Yeah, it really will be. And I think the Vikings 
success with their run defense, a lot of credit goes to the linebackers, Eric Kendricks and Jordan Hicks, I think have, have improved in that area as they've grown more comfortable with the scheme over the course of the season. Um, you got two good defensive ends or outside linebackers in Zedaria Smith and particularly Daniel Hunter and just in terms of not only pass rush, but setting that edge against the run and keeping contained and kind of forcing things into the middle where there are more defenders. And yeah, that's been a big reason for the Viking success. And it's going to be tested because with Zeke Elliott back, you've got two different backs who can challenge you in different ways. Elliott's got a lot of experience and he's not as, as bursty as he once was or as Tony Pollard currently is, but still powerful and and still somebody who has good vision and, and will, will generally find the hole, find the cutback lane, make, make the right play. And then Pollard's a home run hitter. Like if you give that guy any kind of space and, and you don't fill a gap the right way, he can break it for 20, 30, 40 yards or more. And, and so that's going to be a big concern for the Vikings this week. Uh, the Cowboys offensive line, like you always associate that with just, they, they usually have one of the best offensive lines in the league and they still have Zach Martin, who's one of the best linemen in the league at right guard but it's not quite the same dominant unit. I was looking at some of the PFF stuff and I mean, I, I haven't grinded the Cowboys tape. So I'm kind of taking that as um, my, my evaluation of, of the offensive line and they're really good run blocking still. That's the, that's the thing that's that they do well. They've got Tyler Biotis, the center from Wisconsin is good run blocker, a bunch of other guys, but the, the pass protection is maybe a question mark or an issue for Dallas. You've got, no Tyron Smith at left tackle. It's Tyler Smith, their first round pick, uh, who has been kind of up and down. Their right tackle, Terrence Steele, the same. Like everybody outside of Zach Martin has kind of mediocre pass blocking grades, which leads me to believe that if the Cowboys don't stay on top of, stay on schedule, as, as teams always talk about, and get into manageable third downs and, and things like that, that the Vikings will be able to kind of make an impact with the pass rush. And Zadarius Smith has just been dominant this year. Daniil Hunter had one sack in the first four games and now has like five in the last five or something along those lines. He's really gotten going. So that's why the running game for both teams is so key. It's just about kind of staying on schedule and, and moving the ball downfield and putting yourself in, in good passing situations where you're not having to drop back on fourth and 18 and throw up a prayer to Justin Jefferson and, and things like that. I think both pass rushes in the event that the run game doesn't work on early downs are really going to be able to kind of blow things up, especially if Christian Derrissai isn't playing. Folks, have you noticed that I'm always talking about liquid death here on the show? Well, you've probably also noticed by now that it's in the grocery aisle with the water. Yes, that's the water that looks like a tall boy beer. And hey, there's a good reason for that. Liquid death is not only delicious mountain water and sparkling water, but it's also saving the environment as well. Liquid death tall boy style cans are much easier to recycle than those plastic bottles. So they're trying to kill plastic by using aluminum and by donating 10% of profits to put an end to plastic use. I've enjoyed taking a break from soda and trying liquid death and some of you kind folks have tweeted me and said that you've done the same with great results. Even if your family thinks that you are downing beer after beer. Find liquid death at High V 7-Eleven Target or check out liquiddeath.com slash insider. That's liquiddeath.com slash insider. Yeah, and between uh, Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott, they have 25 runs 
of more than 10 yards so far this year, which is, you know, I mean, that's not just commanding the game on the run three or four yards at a time. I mean, that's ripping off big chunks of yardage. Um, so there's a, a couple different things we could talk about here, but um, I, I do don't let me forget to get back to what you said about Daniil Hunter and Zadarius Smith, because I want to talk about those two guys, but a thought on Delvin cook, um, somebody asked on the show, a fans only question about whether the burst is still there. And certainly the top speed was still there when he was running for 80 plus yards. Uh, that run uh, by itself totally changed his data, by the way, like his yards after contact shot up because he was contacted right at the line of scrimmage. Then he ran for 70 something more yards. Um, his rushing yards over expected. Maybe it wasn't expected that he was going to get an 81 yard run. When I looked back, I thought, oh, wow. Buffalo's other safety, not the guy that got blocked by Jefferson, but the other one is really going to have a lot of regrets because he took a horrendous angle to open that up. And then Cook just ran away from him. So maybe he even didn't anticipate him being that fast. But wh what do we make of Delvin Cook's season? Because when you look at his yards per carry, he's averaging five yards a carry. Very impressive. But his PFF grades are not as good. He's only ranking 19th out of 28 running backs that are essentially starters. Um, is it a product of an offensive line that is improved in its run blocking significantly? Um, is it sort of a boom or bust thing? Like, is he any different? What, what do we make of his year? Yeah, I think it's been kind of good, not great so far. And we've kind of come to expect – Dalvin Cook to be great over the past few years because he has been and just having all of those traits that you want in a running back vision burst like all patience at the line of scrimmage to find the hole all, all these different things catching the ball out of the backfield and he's been good and he's had some good games and you can still see the vision and and the ability to kind of hit the holes and then cut back and make jump cuts and, and move around but there's also been it has been a lot of feast or famine and yeah, the an 81 yard run will help boost your yards per carry and all of your stats on the season and make make them look a little better. And that's not to say that you should write that off because they those count and those are part of your your average statistics on the year and and those are things that you hunt for. And the credit to the Vikings for um, they said that like early in the game they had some a, a similar play and Jefferson didn't quite block it well and so then they coached that up and then you run this play and you, and you target it you see it. Jefferson makes a great block. Uh, Christian Darrisaw made a good block. I think Johnny Munt was in there. It was 21 personnel, and he helped open things up. And all, all Cook had to do was make the one cornerback uh, miss right there at the line of scrimmage, and he was gone. And, and so you can still see the top end speed. I think it was like 21.7 miles an hour. He's still got that. I, I just – I mean, I think he's not quite the same player he was when he was like 24 years old, which is just – it's natural. That happens – when you're running back in your sixth season in the league. And um, I, I still think overall cook is a really good running back. We could, uh, this could be a whole separate conversation about kind of his future. And is it worth it for the Vikings to continue paying him 12, $13 million a year in, in this system. But uh, as far as right now and where the Vikings are looking at a super bowl and a deep postseason run, Cook's a nice, a nice running back to have, even if he's not still maybe a top three or top four guy. Yeah, when I look at how he's graded uh, in previous years, he was graded toward the very top of the league um, and now sort of middling. 
Uh, I think it has a lot to do with kind of the success rate where some of the, he's got two huge runs for touchdown, one against Miami and one against Buffalo that, I mean, that's a big percentage of his yardage just on those two runs alone. Um, And on a play to play basis, he has not been as routinely successful as he has been in the past where you could just have whole games where it was, hand it to him, hand it to him. I mean, even I brought this up the other day, but against Dallas where they ran like 10 straight times in a single drive where it was just Delvin, Delvin over and over and over again. And that's not the case anymore. And I think that what we see is when they have those struggles that are extended in the running game, like let's say, you know, two quarters where they don't really pick it up and then they need a big play. That's where we see the offense sputter a little bit. And I think this is a challenge for a play caller because you know that he's got that home run threat, but if you're not really running consistently, it can set you behind the sticks. And so Kevin O'Connell watching him kind of manage this, like do, what do we need to do here? Do we need to go with Delvin cook? Do we need to stick with the run to try to set up some play action and so forth or hope that he breaks off a big play or do you need to just kind of abandon it at some point? I think he learned in Philadelphia that with Delvin cook, you can never really abandon it. And he learned that again in Miami and in Buffalo that if you keep going to him enough times that there's still enough there in the tank that he's going to be able to break off big runs. And uh, I think that's kind of where it fits into the, this this whole team is kind of a boom or bust team. It's like the defense on a play-to-play basis, not great, but they get huge plays. They get sacks. They get interceptions. The offense is the same way. Play-to-play, you go, oh, you know, the – They're only averaging this per play and their success rate isn't that good, but here's a 47 yard pass to Justin Jefferson that sets up these scoring plays. And I think that Delvin cook kind of fits in there and right. Like I don't even want to have the conversation about his future. I think it's really more just does Delvin cook do enough to scare another team and Dallas should be quite scared because they got really run over by the green Bay Packers. And if the Vikings are watching that game, they've got to say that's the weakness. You take advantage of that aggressiveness that they have, and you can break off a couple of big runs with Delvin cook. I think it's a huge factor in this game. Yeah. It it was interesting. We came into this season talking about how like, is Kevin O'Connell going to make the Vikings more of a pass happy offense? And we, we assumed that he was because he's this, offensive mind he's coming from the rams the vikings were around the middle of the league last year 58 percent passing uh, and then to start this season it was kind of more of the same and we were like oh wait they're actually not much more pass heavy than than they were but that has kind of gradually slowly boosted to the point where they are now fifth in the league passing it 64 percent of the time and so i think the, the running game is still obviously important and, and it will be particularly important in certain matchups this weekend being one of them where you have a Cowboys team that is so good at getting pressure in the pass game and is going to blitz you and you're going to have opportunities to maybe exploit that and and find some holes where there's not going to be a lot of guys left uh, to defend the run if they're they're really coming after you. So it, it is important, but what the most important thing on this Vikings offense is going to be Kirk Cousins' continued trust of of Justin Jefferson throwing the ball downfield into contested situations. Kirk Cousins continued pocket presence, which has, I I think, been really um, kind of on the up in recent games. That Bills game just being a great example of his ability to not even like he's still not really creating plays outside of structure all that much, but he's just subtly moving around in the pocket in different ways and giving himself more time and finding angles for throwing lanes. And then when he has to, he's He's been taken off a little bit. He had a huge 15-yard run 
uh, against the Bills late in that game where he didn't even slide at the end of it. He put his shoulder down and, and tried to make something happen. And so it, it, Kirk Cousins playing really well and trusting Justin Jefferson is the thing that has kind of changed this Vikings offense and, and changes its ceiling kind of dramatically because Justin Jefferson is just so unbelievably good that you always want to kind of give him as many chances as possible. And I think the addition of TJ Hawkinson has been huge as well. He's not really renowned as a run blocker. I think he's kind of been okay during in, in the first two games with the Vikings, but uh, just the, the ability he gives you over the middle of the field as a target, as kind of a leak out player in those boots. And it brings, it all comes back to kind of the age old conversation, like does running success really matter for play action? And there are numbers that will suggest it doesn't, but I think there's some sort of, I don't know. I've always been a believer in like the psychological effect that, that it does. Like I just, it just makes sense that if you're getting gashed in the running game, you're going to, your, your linebackers are going to be flowing downhill more and they're going to be more susceptible to getting beat behind them with play action. So um, the, the recipe is there for the Vikings. We've, offense we've seen it but you're right that some of the play-to-play struggles uh, to, to kind of be consistent and some of the plays that go for one yard or negative yards or whatever have been a big factor in why we've seen some lulls from this offense particularly for whatever reason in like the middle of games in the second and third quarter they they start strong they seem to go cold and then they just figure it out in the fourth on the matter of the play action mattering um, or not, there is data to show linebackers moving more for certain players. And we really saw that in 2019 when teams were flat out terrified of Delvin Cook. You could go back and look at the tape and watch linebackers just crashing down. At the same time, in 2016, the worst running game I've seen from the Vikings since I've been here. Sam Bradford still had great numbers with the play action. So I'm not sure how to reckon with those two things being true, but I guess they can be. Maybe you can use it more often uh, or in different ways schematically if you have the linebackers crashing down. But in a lot of ways, the league has sort of said, you're not going to get us on play action in the same way. Um, And Dallas is a team that's interesting for this because – They play super aggressive, and this is different from what the Vikings have seen a lot of so far this year where we've gone to games and say, all right, this is a two-deep team. The Bills are that. They're going to play too deep. They're going to play over the top. Their cornerbacks are playing at the hot dog stand, and they're not going to let you get behind them. Well, Jefferson kind of changed that by catching the ball 20 yards down the field and then running another 20 for his big play early in the game. Uh, But – this is a different kind of situation with Dallas. Like they're a little bit old school in this way where they put Jaron curse old friend in the box and they rush the passer like crazy. They try to use that extra person to help stop the run. And this is, it's, it's an opportunity I think for the Vikings to run some of those play actions. But what I've noticed lately will, and I don't know why this is, maybe it's just one particular right guard being blown up, blown up repeatedly. Uh, but they have not really gotten Kirk going on the bootlegs almost at all for this entire season because they keep getting blown up. In fact, you mentioned his pocket presence. His best throw of the day was not the Jefferson fourth and 18. It was actually an overtime when they ran a play action and it got blown up instantly and he just flung the ball to Jefferson and he made the sideline catch um, to you know kind of set them up to move down the field into field goal position. But that can't happen all the time with those play actions. So I I think that it's a really interesting matchup of just how Dan Quinn wants to play because a lot of teams have moved away from the single high safety and Dan Quinn is kind of leaning into that, which 
From San Francisco, we have seen if you have a violent and dominant defensive line, you can do that because you don't ask your corners to cover as long. Yeah, the Dallas defense is definitely different. And I'm kind of looking at like the defensive line we know is awesome. Micah Parsons is unbelievable. They've got Demarcus Lawrence, although I'm not 100% sure what his injury status is. Dorrance Armstrong, all these different guys up front who are really problems as pass rushers. The, the run defense is a question mark, but I'm curious to see, like, with the linebackers. You mentioned old friend Jaron Curse. We got old friend Anthony Barr, a longtime Viking, the first Mike Zimmer draft pick, making his return to Minneapolis in this game. And he's, I mean, Vikings fans know he's not 2015 Anthony Barr anymore. There's a reason why the Vikings felt kind of compelled to move on and bring in Jordan Hicks, but he's still a guy who has played a ton of football in this league. And can be really effective as a blitzer. Like he was, he was a, a big pass rusher coming out of UCLA. And the Vikings, there was we always we've had this discussion about how the Vikings didn't really use him in that way as much. But when he he can line up in the in the A gap and he can do all kinds of things coming downhill and is a good run defender. And Leighton Vander Esch is a similar player. Their other linebacker is just a big physical run stopper guy. And like they, so those two aren't really as kind of fluid in coverage, which will be something to watch, especially with the Vikings now having TJ Hawkinson. Uh, and on the back end, I mean, Malik Hooker is a good safety. Donovan Wilson's a solid safety. J. Ron Curse. Uh, the cornerbacks are very interesting because Trayvon Diggs uh, had 11 interceptions last year, but there's always this endless kind of discourse about him where he, a lot of times on film he – is maybe going for the interception and and that can lead to getting burned sometimes, which Justin Jefferson, interestingly enough, has the Vikings play the Cowboys like every year for some reason. It's a fourth straight year. I don't know exactly what the logistics are of how that's worked out, but Justin Jefferson last year, two catches for 21 yards against the Dallas Cowboys. And I watched that game. I don't remember exactly why that was, but that is something that, cannot happen again this year. And I, I think in 2020, I had like three catches for 86. So some big plays, but not a ton of volume. Yeah, it, it's just going to be interesting to see how Dan Quinn approaches this game. It's it's a different type of defense than the, the too high Fangio style defense that the Vikings play, that the Vikings have seen a ton of this year. And then what Kevin O'Connell and Wes Phillips plan is in response to that. How are they going to maybe try to exploit some of that aggressiveness from the Dallas defense. And I think those two linebackers, Barr and, and Vanderesh, are going to be kind of key pieces to watch in, in how the whole dance of, of offense versus defense unfolds when the Vikings have the ball. Yeah, I mean, for me, the whole key is just can you block them? Can you block them just enough? And Buffalo was a great example of literally just enough. I mean, Kirk Cousins was still pressured 40% of his dropbacks in that game. And there were numerous times where Ed Oliver or Vaughn Miller was this close to getting a sack on Kirk Cousins and they got a completion, but these guys are just as good or better on the defensive line. So you can't let them take over. And that was what it looked like to me last year when I remember watching that game back was there were situations where Cousins dropped back and it was sort of instant pressure And then he forced the ball out a little too quickly or whatever. Maybe the throw was not as accurate as he wants it to be. It's always and forever, even if his pocket presence looks good at times. If you go through his pressure numbers year in and year out, they're pretty stable. 
for which is funny because sometimes the, there's big jumps or declines based on like turnovers and things like that for PFF grade for rating. But Cousins is kind of the same guy under pressure year in year out. Um, and then we take the good throws and we go, see, no, he's better now. Like, no, not really. Those throws have kind of been there. But then there's the negative plays that have been there as well. And the yards per attempt is usually pretty short when he gets pressured. He's doing a good job of not getting sacked this year. But this defensive line can really change the formula and how they counter that or how they even work off some of the things that did not work from last year. You're allowed to still use that tape, even though it's a different uh, coaching staff. They're playing the same exact defense as they were before. So there is familiarity with most of the players. What, the right guard and the tight end are the only guys that are new? So a lot of these guys saw exactly what Dallas brought to the table. On the other side of things, um, we talked about the C.D. Lamb. We talked about the running game. But the ability to pressure Dak Prescott – I mean, it's just, it's always going to be huge. There's no quarterback we'll ever talk about where it's like, no, no, you can't pressure him. Don't worry about that. Just sit back there, chill, have a good day. Uh, But the pressure that the Vikings have put on opposing quarterbacks in recent weeks has been really remarkable. And uh, Josh Allen found a way to escape it on numerous occasions and make incredible plays and then also make mistakes as well. But there was a third down and one where Harrison Phillips drove back the center right into the lap of Josh Allen. He tried to escape. Zadarius Smith ends up with a sack. I guess I wonder what you think the difference is because early in the season, I felt like, oh boy, this is not going to be what they thought it was going to be. It looked like Daniil Hunter was struggling to get the system. It looked like Zadarius Smith didn't have the same power as he had before. He had a good game in week one, but didn't grade well, didn't have a lot of pressures. It was kind of a sack or two that stood out. And now Zadarius Smith is making a case for defensive MVP, legitimately making a case for it as number one in the NFL in pressures. And here's Daniil Hunter now 10th in pressures. All of a sudden, after not showing a whole lot the first few weeks, what is your theory on how these guys have elevated themselves to being two of the best in the NFL? I mean, the thing is, like, it's always been there, right? The talent has always been there. 2019 – They were one and two in the entire NFL in pressure. So it's not like they've come out of nowhere to do this. It's, I think for Smith, it's maybe just been kind of gradually finding his legs after missing basically all of last year. For Hunter, there's been a little of that as well. He's missed like three-fourths of the past two seasons due to separate injuries. But then it's also been kind of comfort in the scheme. And yeah, it's something that I think is kind of cool about this game, like the Vikings have gotten a lot more national attention now after that Bills win. I think people are starting to take them more seriously. And obviously, this none of this matters to them. But just from, from our perspective, like now they have another game against the biggest name in the NFL, the biggest brand, the Dallas Cowboys. The Jim Nance, Tony Romo game that is going to be on basically every TV in the country on CBS. And Micah Parsons is like, I think he's the betting favorite to win defensive player of the year. He's He's unbelievable has like eight sacks, 40 pressures, and and does a lot that doesn't show up even in those numbers if you watch him play. But Zadarius Smith has eight and a half sacks, has 55 pressures, which leads the league, and it doesn't seem like he's getting a lot of buzz for that defensive player of the year. I think if you look at the the odds, he's like sixth or seventh or something on there, which is still fairly high, but there's an opportunity for this game with the country watching. If Zadarius Smith comes out, he has over nine pressures or at least nine pressures in three of the last four games. If he is dominant again, maybe ideally gets a sack or two because that's what most people tend to notice more so than pressures, which, you know, Andre Patterson 
and, and other defensive coaches are not fans of that necessarily. But yeah, if I mean, Micah Parsons and Zedarius Smith are not going to be on the field ever at the same time. But that to me is just kind of an interesting battle. Like which star pass rusher shows up more and makes their mark more on the game because they can really influence the outcome kind of by themselves. And the thing for the Vikings and Zedarius Smith is that he's not by himself. He has Daniil Hunter on the other side. Micah Parsons isn't by himself either. They've got some other good rushers. And the Vikings need Harrison Phillips to continue playing well. He had, a, I think it was a career-high seven pressures in that Bills game, maybe a little extra motivation in the revenge games that we seem to get to talk about at least one revenge game every week this season. And DJ Wanham and Patrick Jones and other guys have still kind of been showing up a little bit in in, in rotational roles. So the the pass rush star power is there. There's star power all over the all over the place with both of these teams, receiver, quarterback, offensive line, things like that. But yeah, these these two big main pass rushers and, and Daniel Hunter as well are going to kind of be on on full display in this game. Folks, if you're looking for a way to celebrate Minnesota's insane football season, go to SodaStick.com. See all the different designs from Kirko chains to the gritty to everything skull related. SodaStick, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com and use the code PURPLEINSIDER for 15% off your purchase. So what do you think the biggest X factor is, Will? You gotta Ooh, do I love X factor. We're doing a hardcore breakdown. We got to do an X factor. You have a team coming off a super emotional win that did capture the nation. I mean, I just was looking at Bill Barnwell of ESPN, uh, wrote a huge piece about everything that that game meant for both franchises and everything. Like once that's happening, you are in the limelight. I mean, all these guys have been doing national TV appearances all week. NFL films was there. Like there's a lot of attention now on this Vikings team, which might lead you to believe that there's been kind of that letdown. And uh, Jeremiah Searle said earlier this week, what goes up must come down. And that does happen to teams, but also this was a team that, came back from London, went to Miami, gritted out a win. Like I think that they have so many professionals, so many guys who've been around for a long time that maybe they don't get too caught up in that sort of thing. But uh, there is also just uh, like how much energy do you have um, after an overtime game where you played 151 total plays in that game. But the other thing is, you know, for Dallas, like they're kind of a little bit panicky. I mean, they go to Green Bay, they lose, they lost in Philadelphia, and now they're going to Minnesota, so they're playing. And they're third goal. in their division. Like, they they don't have a margin for error here. Right, right. I mean, that that's this is, a, this is a very desperate game for Dallas, which I don't know if that plays in their favor or not, Like, because you could talk me into it playing in their favor. Like, um, you know, the Vikings could be the fat cats getting slaughtered, uh, to use uh, Mike Zimmer's term, but – uh, or, you know, you could look at Dallas and say this this team's kind of scrambling right now. And I don't know if Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy can steer the ship in the right way. What, what do you make of X factors? Well, there there are a lot of them and I'll, I'll get to a couple in a second. But it's worth just pointing out. Yeah, like the Vikings are entering the national stage in a big way right now. Everybody was watching the end of that that Bills game. Everybody's going to be watching this game. And then you have actual primetime Kirk Cousins four days later on Thanksgiving night against the Patriots. And like we, we said, coming into this four game stretch, we're going to learn a lot about the Vikings. We learned a lot in that Bills game, a lot of it positive um, with, with how they responded. But now it's, it's can you keep 
keep it going. And I, this has been from what we've seen their messaging from, from Kevin O'Connell and everybody else throughout is eight and one, six and one, seven, one, eight. And it doesn't mean anything. You have to go out and prove it every single week. And I think that's the, that's the right mentality to have. And that helps them. And that's a big reason why they've been able to kind of sustain this seven game winning streak. But now, I mean, Kevin O'Connell even admitted earlier this week, like this is a tough challenge mentally. You're coming off an emotional victory, just kind of a, a draining back and forth battle. And now you have to turn around and go face a good Cowboys team, but just and physically as well. Like you said it, they played a ton of plays. A game lasted like four hours and it was just really, really physically demanding. And it's kind of like in baseball, you talk about like pitches with nobody on base are less stressful than high leverage, high intensity pitches with the bases loaded. There were a lot of high intensity pitches late in that game where it is all out. This play is the game and, and this means the world. And uh, that just, just turning around and coming off of that and now facing a really talented Cowboys team is tough. So if the Vikings are able to win this game, I don't think this is the spot where the Vikings are going to finally win a game by more than one score. But if they're able to just pull out another one score game, that is going to be maybe just as impressive as the win over Buffalo, even with the Vikings being at home. So I say all that to, to say that it's a very important game. There's, there's NFC seeding implications on the line. The Cowboys, if they win, are still going to be in the mix for that one seed. As far as X factors, I touched on it a little bit, but I think TJ Hawkinson is a huge one with just his his run blocking, his, his ability to catch passes over the middle of the field. I mean, he has been targeted a ton over his first two games with the Vikings. Part of that, everybody got targeted a ton in that Bills game because there were so many plays, but he's going to be huge. I'd be on the lookout maybe for his first Vikings touchdown in his first home game with the Vikings, just, just putting that out there. Um, and, and then the huge obvious one is who plays uh, at left tackle and at the other cornerback spot. It just – that's that's an easy answer, but it's just gonna it's so huge because if Christian Darisai isn't playing, ooh, buddy, Blake Brandle, welcome to another tough spot after you held your own in a in a very tough spot in Buffalo. This this is a different animal. And I know Von Miller is good, but Von Miller is not in his prime like Micah Parsons is. And and Greg Rousseau was out of that game for the Bills. The Cowboys, I mentioned Demarcus Lawrence, I'm not sure if he's playing, but they have a lot of weapons. So that's a big one. And then Andrew Booth, we already talked about, like He's going to be thrust into a big spot if he ends up making his first career start. So those are some of the big ones, I would say. And then yeah, just throw it to Justin Jefferson 15 times. I mean, it's, it is a model that works. Um, I would say uh, that maybe an underrated X factor, if there's such thing as anything being underrated in the NFL, would be that Mike McCarthy battled Mike Zimmer many, many times. They knew each other extremely well. He understood how Mike Zimmer's defense operated probably as good as any human being on planet Earth. It's totally different now, a totally different matchup, but that goes both ways. Like Mike Zimmer understood how a McCarthy offense operated, but now it's at Donatell going up against them. So it's just a very different coaching matchup where they are not as familiar with each other. And I don't know exactly what that means. Maybe a higher scoring wide open game. Um, that's kind of what I would guess, but uh, there's a lot of defensive talent on both sides to make game changing plays. Um, okay. So we know what comes at the end here. I don't know who to pick in this game. I, I believe in the, the letdown game that it does happen after a huge emotional win. But I also think that Dallas has a lot of flaws on their team and maybe a bit of a paper tiger, 
but they also have the <laughs> they also have the kryptonite for the Vikings, which is great defensive line play. So I really don't know. I think I want to lean toward the Vikings continuing the magic carpet ride, but I do know that it's some week they will just have a bad game. Like it's going to happen. They're, they're not going 16 and one. We don't. Right. Think. Right. So I, I don't know. I guess maybe once my streak was over, I didn't really care anymore uh, after picking them. Right. So I guess I'll just go with the Vikings to keep it carrying on here. And you picked them over the bills, right? So I did. Really- I didn't know Josh Allen was starting, but I'm going to still roll with that. So I've really no. only missed the one game. So you're eight and one. I'm seven and two. I picked losses to the Cardinals and the bills, which Neither one happens. So the only really course of action for me here is to just say this Vikings team has some voodoo and, and magic to it and is just going to find ways to win games. So I'm going to pick the Vikings because I, I, I'm both for two. Well, OK, I picked them to lose to the Eagles and that happened. But since then, I have picked them to lose twice. It hasn't happened. They could have easily lost a bunch of games. They haven't. So I'm going to take them. They're at home. I, there's there's been like Dak Prescott is a really good quarterback, but if you if you listen to the Cowboys kind of talking points on, on their fan base, like they're not necessarily thrilled with how he's played recently. And the concern is just you touched on it earlier, like can the Vikings block at all? And it's just just enough because that's been the issue at times, and especially the last few years, is there are times where they just can't they can't block, and there's there's no plays you can call when you're getting dominated at the line of scrimmage. And that even happened a little bit two weeks ago in Washington for a stretch where like there was nothing they could do because their defensive, the defensive line of the commanders was just blowing them up every play. So that would be the worry from the Vikings perspective, but I'm picking, I, I, I can't, I can't bet against this team right now. I've just, I've given up on considering logic, even though we just spent the last 45 minutes doing that. They just, they just find ways to win and it's, it's ridiculous and it's entertaining to watch. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm convinced for now, but we'll see how long that carries on. It's a, at some point we're just going to go, Oh, they had the bad game. And it just happens to every team. That's good. The thing is that they can't let them string together. I don't know if this will be it. This sort of feels like it might be it, but it also feels like I don't really trust Dallas to come here and win another game. So I have no idea, which is why we don't give out gambling advice on the show other than, <laughs> Look, don't worry about them not being favored. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't affect anything. So don't be too concerned about that. Um, That's it. Great job, Will. Great stuff. This was the hardest core of hardcore breakdowns. And we've gotten hardcore, but we went super hardcore for this one. So great stuff. And we'll do it again next week. Absolutely.